Thanks for joining us for episode nine of This Life's Work with Charles Ratliff and Friends. I'm Dana Schlegenhaft, and as always, we're recording this from the very beautiful Haxton Road Studios in downtown Bentonville. Joining me now is our podcast host. Good morning, Charles. Hey, good morning, Dana. How good are you doing? S- hey, good to see you. If snow or not snow today, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, if you're listening to this and it's summertime, we're right now in a, a frigid February. It's that time of the yeah. It's that time of the year. So uh, it's my pleasure this morning to introduce our guest, Washington County Judge Joseph Wood. Good morning. Man, good good to morning. see you. Good again. to see you. Yeah, man, I've said that about years. four times this oh, morning already. You looked exactly the same. No, I was going to say our gray hair. Is that about it? Good morning, Miss Dana. Good morning. Well, thanks for making that drive. Absolutely. I, I wasn't sure either if you sure. could come down here from Fayetteville and share this with us now. Uh, we talked the other day briefly, and one of the things I like to do initially on these is reminisce a little bit because mm-hmm. I can't. We couldn't remember if we'd seen each other, but when we were worked together at Walmart, about when was that? See, I started in Walmart in uh, about March of '97. Okay, Walmart brought me from Chicago to kind of help recruit and bring people to Northwest right. Arkansas, and I guess that's it was then because I retired in. Oh, Five, yes, so right. somewhere so right we, had, we had some years. Uh, did a lot of recruiting, bringing people to Northwest Arkansas. And uh, I think you were, man, you were running everything. But I think in the benefits <laughs> and um, there's, there's com- too much uh, to remember. But you yes, got involved in a lot of things. Oh, I did. What, what, I did. what all did you do? Oh, man, it was a great work experience being in Walmart because it allowed me to touch all kinds of parts of the organization that uh, came in to recruit and bring people in. And initially it was bringing people to the headquarters. Then it was the pharmacy started to grow and expand. And so I was bringing pharmacists around the country, bringing them to, to the headquarters to be regionals or divisionals, but uh, to add them to our stores that we expanded hours, uh, end up going into our logistics division and working in our distribution centers, our transportation offices. Uh, I ended my career at Walmart doing international uh, work so, for Walmart. It- but it sounds like the typical county judge. It's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Oh yeah, man, what a list! Stuff. But oh, you, nice. what did you do before that? What did you say a minute ago? Where'd you come from? I came from Chicago. I was yeah. uh, at uh, University of Chicago Business School. I was recruiting people around the world to come to Chicago and get their masters in business at the Booth School, and so that was a great, uh, okay. a great experience. And then from there to Walmart, and then there to and down here to Arkansas. After Walmart, I took a brief. Uh, I ran for uh, Republican Party chairman of the uh, state of Arkansas, and I lost by a few votes, and. At that time, uh, I ended up doing some uh, work, uh, HR work for Home Depot before uh, a gentleman said, hey, I'm running for secretary of state. And if I win, would you be my deputy? And I said, absolutely. I'll get paid. His name was Mark Martin. Yeah. uh, And he did a phenomenal job. And most people confuse him with the Mark Martin race car driver. And they see him and they say, hey, did you get the car? Is it outside? (laughs) And and we we get out there where Mark Martin actually lives in Batesville area. And they start asking him about policies and elections. And he's like, what are you guys talking? (laughs) about yeah i I forgot to ask you real quick so uh what was it like to move from chicago to bentonville at that time well i had already worked for walmart years in iowa so it threw me back to being in iowa i came to arkansas chicago again you don't know how fast-paced the world is and sitting in traffic and we were i was probably 12 miles from work and it took me an hour and 15 minutes to get to work for 12 miles. And Man. then you get down here and I'm living in Fayetteville. People, you going to drive all the way from Fayetteville to Benville to work? <laughs> I'm like, that's 30 minutes. That's nothing. Come to Chicago for 12 miles. So anyway. so, I'm, well, yeah. I'm curious with that uh, background. Well, I'm curious of a couple things. Um, what does a county judge do? I mean, you've got a background that covers everything. So what? I, 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 most people uh, around the state, most county judges, uh, uh, 
they are actually um, hands-on when it comes to the, running their county. Uh, there's 75 counties in the state of Arkansas, and we are kind of the CEOs of the county. We oversee the county government. Um, prior to the uh, Constitution, the county judges were kind of the judge until they had the circuit judges in all the areas. So they kind of was the one presiding over courts and all until you had enough circuit judges uh, come into play. So you can, yeah, you can have a fair and speedy trial. I never knew that. I yeah, appreciate you explaining yeah, I didn't that. Either. That's kind of how that got started. And but then, they never it, took that role away. They just said, we were just going to make you the executive branch while the circuit judges managed the judicial side of it. Uh, and so I, I have about eight circuit judges in this county and we have their courtrooms. We had to be managed and make sure their budgets are taken care of, even though the state manages a lot of their budgets. But well, what all departments? I know you have road. Have, road is my biggest one. That's a large lion's share of mine. But I also have environmental crew to make sure we have wayside dumps taken care of and trash and recycling going on. I have a um, oh, uh, juvenile detention center. So, again, as a that's for our young people who may be finding themselves in some some uh, mischief, and here's a way to kind of get them set and right on track before they get into more. And so this kind of get them level set and, and corrected. Um, we have a uh, oh Department of Emergency Management, which is really a huge area, which really is the uh, emergency response. Uh, should there be someone missing, or we I think it's just up here in Bend County, somebody who got lost in, in in the waters and they had to send a rescue squad. But do you out. Do, do you coordinate FEMA type uh, work with exactly? right. I spent okay. a lot of time with FEMA. Uh, so we coordinate with them and then we wait years to get the reimbursement of dollars back. But no, it is a it's a tremendous work. Probably no more important group than I have. I got a lot of great, great department heads and great leaders uh, and our department of emergency management. When we took the oath of office as county judges, uh, it's really about public safety for our citizens in the county. It's about the infrastructure, buildings and, mm-hmm. and, and courts, that type of thing. So working with our sheriff's department for law enforcement and all. But the emergency management probably is the most critical one, especially when you come out of, say, a flood or right now the pandemic. We probably spent the past year spending every day with our emergency management crew. Do we have enough PPE for our local area hospitals? Well, you know, I don't, I've been around a long time, but uh, I don't recall much about FEMA until Hurricane Katrina. Katrina. Sure, that's so right. So I grew up in Hope, and I was uh, down there for something years ago. Mm-hmm. And there, I, I tell you this story briefly, just for the magnitude of what you're talking about relative to what you do with FEMA, because mm-hmm. those that aren't familiar with it might think, well, that's not a big deal. Uh, but there's an old uh, airport down there that was built for World War II. It was the largest airfield, uh, forget in the central U.S. Right. for many years for World War II. That thing was covered post Mobiles. Katrina with those mobile homes. That's you exactly know right. where I was oh, going. Absolutely, with that. I remember that. Absolutely, I remember the visuals of that's that. That's exactly right. Well, you can't visualize even X and A. This that's is right. this is a lot larger Jeez. than X and A. It, there were I've never. I can't imagine how many. Were oh yes. Well, Walmart even gave me some exposure. And I tell you, I, my experience at Walmart, because of we created the emergency operations centers in Walmart, and that's again when there's a mass anything going across the country. There's probably a Walmart or a distribution center nearby. And so Walmart somehow figured out how to coordinate. Walmart does distribution and logistics well. That's, I think, the differentiator of why they're the number one retailer in the world. And next to them, nobody else can do it better except for the 
military. And so to coordinate with the government military when there's a disaster like Katrina mm-hmm. and see Walmart get into play. And, and pe- most people in the country would never know how Walmart moves and, and get stuff accomplished by working with uh, players like the military and, and uh, everybody. Uh, I'm going to touch back sure. on your upbringing yes. in Chicago because mm-hmm. presently and, and throughout your career, community and public service have been um, really driving factors in everything that you've done. That's right. Um, but in the very, very beginning, you began your life without parents, That's and correct. you were raised and embraced by your community. That's correct. Tell us a little bit about you know that unique upbringing that you had. Well, Dana, you shared something, and I only found that out about ten years ago that I was <laughs> really abandoned and lost. Uh, I always knew I was adopted. Uh, the folks came and got me, and and, and wanted children, uh, and they came in for star foster care me. And um, but ten years ago, the laws changed in Illinois, and it said if you were ever adopted. In the state of Illinois, you can have your original birth certificate. I'm like, wow, because it was a closed adoption. So you didn't have any information. My parents who adopted me knew, knew nothing. And so I said, well, I'm going to apply to get my original birth certificate. I'll see who my birth parents are and let them know, hey, I'm okay. Whatever happened back then, it happened, but we're fine. And when they finally sent the birth certificate, they were months behind because so many people overwhelmed them because they wanted their original certificate. And I got it and they said, this is your foundling certificate. And I got three kids, three grandkids. I know what a birth certificate looks like. And this is your foundling. I said, what's a foundling? So I had to do a search and bing it, Google it. And a foundling is someone who has been found or abandoned. What? I was, a, you are found on this day. Stop. That's the day I celebrated my birthday. Mm. No, that's just the day you were found. Wow. You were found on this day by this man, Caesar Johnson, at this address, and you received an orphanage by this doctor. And I'm telling you, it just stunned. I was 45, 46 years old. It just blew my socks off. And I mean, mentally, I just struggled. Like, what are you talking about? This is, I don't even know how old I am now. I've been celebrating my birthday. So then I started, okay, I got to do something. I started looking for the doctor who received me in the orphanage, found him. He had died in 1999. And I said, I wonder if I can find the guy who found me. Did a lot of research. There was a lot of Caesar Johnsons in the state of Illinois, but most of them, 95% of them were under my age. So it couldn't be any of them. Mm-hmm. And um, the three names left and the very first number I called, it was him, Caesar mm-hmm. Johnson. What, what did you, oh, how my did you, how'd that conversation go? What an unbelievable conversation. So I'm down in Little Rock. I was a deputy secretary of state at that time, about 10 in the morning. I just called my wife and said, how do I get somebody? I'm about to make a phone call to these Caesar Johnsons. How do I get them to take my number and capture it? And she said, why? I said, well, if they hear something that is real surprising and shocking, to hang up. At least they have my number if they want to call back. And you got to know my wife. Will you just make the phone call? You, you're always analyzing it in your head. Just call. Uh, you're waiting your whole life. That was not the response I wanted, but like most husbands, we just do what she say, they say. And so, I, <laughs> so I went ahead and made the phone call. And it was an older woman who answered the phone. And I said, hey, I'm Joseph Wood down here in Arkansas looking for a guy by the name of Caesar Johnson. He spells his name a little different. Uh, and he would have saved somebody. And that kind of woke her up. Save somebody. My husband saved somebody. Somebody. It kind of sounded like a typical wife. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, well, what's your phone number? Now, I'm a little shocked because I just asked my wife. And she, I said, well, why do you, now I'm crawfishing. Why do you need my number? And she said, well, because he's, he's 80 years old. He's hard of hearing. I may have to switch phones. And now I'm in my head again. I'm like, if he's 80, I'm 45. That could be the math. And I'm in, and she's like, hello, hello, what's your number? And I started giving her my number. And then she stopped. She said, hold on, you said save somebody? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, was it a baby he saved? I said, yes, ma'am. Are you the baby he saved? 
Yes, ma'am. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Lord, <laughs> Jesus. And she went on the Holy Ghost tear. Oh, Caesar, Caesar. Oh, Jesus. And I am bawling. I mean, I am. It, You're it about to make so, me cry. I was about oh, to say. Oh, it was story. so, so part. Caesar, that baby you saved. And he comes to the phone, and, and that's Miss Ruthie. And he comes to the phone. He's very opposite of her. Hello. <laughs> Super mellow. <laughs> My name, my name is Joseph. I mean, I was a mess, snotting everywhere. And, and my name is, hello? hello. He can't hear. And I hear her in the background. Can I tell him? Can I tell him? He comes back. He said, oh, my gosh. Oh, you're alive. That had to be like 50 years ago. No, it was only 45. <laughs> I but think. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I think, right? And so anyway, he tells a story. One of the coldest days in Chicago, he had just put his wife and kids to bed, and he was going to work. He was a night supervisor at uh, Campbell's Soup Manufacturing Plant in Chicago, big plant. And uh, he had just put them to bed. He walked out of his apartment complex, and there was a box with, uh, with a blanket in it, and it was shifting and moving, and there was snow and ice blowing and all. He didn't know what it was, so he took his foot to move the blanket, and the blanket moved and he saw it was a kid in there. And he's trying to look up and down the street. Stuff was blowing. The wind was blowing snow. And so he went back into the apartment complex with the box and woke his wife up, got his neighbors up. They're walking around the neighborhood trying to figure out where this kid came from. And he said, a few hours later, we got the police by and the Chicago police was looking around the neighborhood. They said, hey, man, you saved this kid and we're going to take him down to the orphanage downtown. And he said, that was 45 years ago and, and you are you alive and all so we end up having a great relation he died a couple of years ago um, and his family knew all about it I mean it, it, you don't know and, and I spent a lot of time talking about people and the, necessi the necessity of staying on your journey because there would be people that you would influence and impact and you have no idea um, his family was totally moved by what he did he was a military Korean veteran Illinois ended up writing him a citation thanking him for saving mm. me because now Arkansas been benefited by having a deputy secretary say because of his act. And he said mm -hmm. that was the only thing he wore on his uh, and his uh, funeral. He only wore, he had an Arkansas state flag pin that I gave mm -hmm. him. Oh that, that's gosh. the only thing that he wanted to wear. His family asked me to speak at it. His family was all there, but I was part of their family, uh, gone to family reunions and spoke there. And God. so it was just a powerful piece. Had he always been wondering? Always. Still, I still do. I've done DNA mm -hmm. and uh, the ancestry and all that, but that is the closest I've got to connecting anything mm -hmm. to where my past so, was. Because God's been oh, watching over you from for the beginning. Time. You're, Absolutely. You're, right. you're here for a purpose uh we all are that's exactly yeah, right but, though. i mean you're that i mean it doesn't feel like a higher purpose oh my gosh I mean, I, I, he can take me off this earth tonight right now and i know i've had a blessed life when i look mm -hmm. at my wife and my kids and grandkids and, 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 and whoever adopted you I, well and that's another powerful so my mom and dad had been married uh five years and she wrote in her high school yearbook i want to be married and have a house full of kids i want to be a teacher and have a house full of kids that's what she wrote in her high school yearbook she graduated from high school went on to become a teacher five years being married to my dad who was a construction worker um, he, he hated coming home from work. He built a large part of the city of Chicago, but well, when he got home from work, mama put him back to work. She wouldn't get pregnant and have a kid. <laughs> and he was like, oh, so when she said, well, let's go to the orphanage. We can foster care a little girl. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you get off my back, this would be great. And so they go downtown to the orphanage and she sees all these kids. She's like, nope, I want to foster this little boy right here. And so they bring me home and within months she gets pregnant. Oh, wow. And a year later has my brother. A year after that, she has my sister. A year after that, she has my brother. She had three <laughs> kids right off the bat. Uh, and so the orphanages and the nuns were kind of concerned that now that they've had their own kids, mm -hmm. are they going to be, are they going to want to give me back and all? Mm -hmm. And so at 10 years old, they said, no, this is our kid and we're going to adopt. So they adopted me at 10 years old. Oh, wow. So, 10 years old. 10 years old. Yeah. That's, that's just 
uh, well, you're talking about helping others, and, and you and I have another uh, mutual acquaintance in Nick Robbins. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That uh, program he runs. Returning at, Home. Returning yes. Home. Sure. And he's helping uh, those folks that have been Give a second chance. Incarcerated. Exactly right. exactly right. And does a lot of good things Absolute, for them. Absolutely. I, I saw a press release or, or something just a month or so ago. What's this latest program? Because uh, I think your name was mentioned. Well, I have. we have a criminal justice coordinating committee that we're just looking at our whole criminal justice system in Washington County uh, to help the circuit judges um, to determine can I do something different with the bail or can I uh, sentence them to something else besides going to jail, uh, especially if it's a low nonviolent type of crime. It's working with our sheriff and public defenders and prosecutors to, again, just really examine their current processes. But I also want to have some folks from outside of the system, if you will, to be a part of it. And so I asked Nick to sit on that that coordinating committee as well. Nick is doing some work and they're looking to expand and grow a few more beds there. And so we're working to see if we can coordinate with them again. And when that judge goes to sentence, maybe they can route them, divert them, and give them a second chance being over there at the return. So home. You, you, that's such a, a seriously, my, I, I was tearing up a minute ago listening to your story. That's a, such a great story. And you, so you can relate to folks that need another oh, chance. Absolutely I right. Mean, they, they need somebody to come give them a hand. Absolutely. And uh, now, did you start, when we talked last week, did you start a, a program in? Uh, for kids in Chicago before you, before we left there? No, I started a teen club. So, teen club, yeah. Yeah, so my parents got divorced. Well, gosh, I was probably 14, 15 years old and, and little, not, well, no, they even younger than that. But a few years after, mom's like, I got a, she was teaching, but she ended up picking a second job. And I need to make sure you keep your brothers and sisters safe. And I'm like, well, that's your job. You the parent. <laughs> but then I ain't say that out loud because, uh, you know, let I'm me, just Let me that. interject something yeah, sure, real sure. quick. You, you finished that story, but yeah. I, you know what? Look how you're smiling. <laughs> I've never known you not smiling. I think yes. what he's already said, he's found in a box. That's right. <laughs> he's adopted. His parents divorced. Yeah. You know, one of the things you, you just remind me of, how many people I run into, and I, I fall in that category occasionally, that want to complain. Mm. It's somebody mm. else's fault. Sure. Right? Sure. You, That's you not heard that story. But I, no, no. It's, it, 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 I mean, again, it's never easy. And that, I tell you, and you smile through tears. Cause, but I always, back then when I was growing up, and I struggled a lot. Why was I giving up for adoption? At the, again, this is only 10 years ago I found out I was abandoned. But I always knew I was adopted. But I always wondered why was I giving up and all. And the only thing I could do was pray and write and journal to God to say what was going on. And at the end, I guess it didn't matter. And that's what got me through. I guess it didn't matter. She had me. I'm here to get whatever happened. Was she a prostitute? Was she molested by her parents or her dad or uncle? And whatever it was for me to push on with younger brothers and sisters, I had to somehow get, and that was God just pushing and getting me through that. So they, uh, you were asking the, the, um, yep. the, the pro program, team program, the team program. So when they got divorced, I said, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, that's your job, but that's, I, I can figure out. So I ended up putting a teen club together uh, where young people in the neighborhood can come together. And the church said, Joseph, whatever we need, here's keys to the fellowship hall. Anytime you need access to the building, I'll bring them here. And it grew so fast because a lot, of, it was a pretty rough neighborhood, Jeffrey Manor, uh, a lot of gangs, a lot of drugs. And so it was a place that parents were looking for a place to send their kids. So, so we did. We spent a lot of time planning and coming up with uh, field trips and doing things in the community. And the uh, next thing I know, I'm being asked, hey, we need a team to come and represent at the town hall. We're going to be busy with aldermen. Or, and so it just became part of what 
mother, my mother told me to do, but she said, you will always be a part of where you live because that's expected. You need to know who, who's your neighbors and what's going on. And so that beginning where I was told to do it just became part of the fabric. When I came back from college, went back to that same community and couldn't understand why some of the same stuff was broken. And I, well, some of the thing is we put the same leaders in, maybe need to change some of that. <laughs> so Now, did you, have you done something similar here and in Washington County? Uh, well, I spend a lot of time working with a lot of nonprofits, in particular with young people. I sit on the state board of the call, which is, again, an interface, a faith-based nonprofit uh, like Christian it. organization. Yep, I like that. Uh, and they work with a lot of churches around the state yep. to encourage to do what happened when I was coming up, to get involved. If you can't adopt, maybe you can foster. And if you can't mm-hmm. foster care, maybe you can tutor or volunteer some time, take it to a baseball game. Because those things will impact, as I was saying earlier, impact or change a kid's life. And so uh, I sit on, I uh, used to sit on uh, Kip Delta's board. So I'm very involved with the, the education of kids because, again, I think it's that's the yep. beginning of it to help change where we well, go. Good the trajectory. for you. And, and, and- Thank you, by the way. Absolutely. Kind of goes back to that, you know, someone may interject in a life and not know. Exactly right. I mean, taking someone to a baseball game could change everything. Uh, uh, It it will. And you, and the kid probably is not going to be able to remember. I grew up as a grateful kid. I always thank my mother for adopting me and she would make her so mad. My, she, why, I, I did everything but birth you. Stop thanking me. <laughs> but I, I really was appreciative because I'm thinking about what, what if she, what if I did do something bad and she said, oh no, I'm taking you back. You know, and so I just wanted to make sure I did well in school. <laughs> I tried to take care yeah. of my brother and sisters and all, but that's, that was, I think that's, that's, uh, now, I've verbalized it, but most kids can't articulate it. But, boy, you always get to that, like, last night and watching the football game. You, you know those interviews today and tomorrow. I want to thank my mom or that teacher. Mm-hmm. You, you remember those people, and, and they probably sitting there. You thinking me? Why did I? What did I do? Because you spoke life, or you you did a, a random act of kindness mm-hmm. that it changed them. It, it did something, and you don't know who that is. My mother would talk about that teaching twenty five and thirty kids every day. Her goal was to walk home knowing that one or two had a twitch in their eye, like I got it, or it made something. Because then she knew it was worth the whole day of teaching. No, you can't get all thirty at the same time. But if one or two, then again, in the inner city of Chicago, that's that's one less kid that you have to worry about knocking you down and taking your purse or something like that. And so uh, that 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 whole uh, well, that's I, you know, you, it reminds me of something else. Uh, just briefly, years ago, uh, many years ago, when I was really um, uh, being retransformed in the Christian life, mm-hmm. that's right, <laughs> and really seeing the light. Uh, I remember trying to help somebody, and then I told a friend later. I said, "I don't think I, I don't think I really helped them very much." And he said, "No, you do your part. Exactly. Right. You don't worry about. Come on. You don't. Mm. No, you I don't preach. solve every problem. That's right. That's right. You be a good person. Conduct yourself. That's right. The way you should. As, That's right. As Jesus would. That's right. And, and he'll do the rest. That's yep. all. That's exactly right. You do your best. He'll do the rest. I'm going to interject a personal story. Sure. I, just this year, I'm 40 years old. I messaged a teacher from high school that had written a letter for me that all these years I had kept. It it was wow. something to do with being on the yearbook staff. And I messaged her on Facebook and said, you know, every time I have a hard time with a career or, a, a you know, not feeling confident, I go up to the attic and read that letter. Wow. wow. So she has no idea sure. that years later I've held on to this. And that was something that, you know, she probably wrote it and moved on. And it's those little things Absolutely that they mean right. something. Absolutely and they, And right. that sparked 
my whole career right. was just that that moment. That's, so that's, that's, that's amazing. And that's I, I want to pivot just sure. a bit. You know, you have a lot of um, dedication to community service and these mission based projects. How do you uh, apply those when you've worked at Walmart and when you've worked in the private sector, and then also as county judge in that sure, role? Sure, I, I think I have become. I think I. I think I do a good job as county judge, and that's only because of what we did in the Secretary of State's office and what I was doing at Walmart. Um, clearly, you want to be able to build upon what people have done before, and then you have great leaders such as uh, Charles here. And, and so you learn and you see how they operate and you see how they lead. And and uh, I'm trying to think, was it uh, President Lee Scott when he was around? He said, you know what? I wish I could be in every store as a store manager and all, but I can't. And the only difference between why one store is successful and another is not is the leadership that's there. And so um, for me, it's all about leadership. If, and I, in fact, if you talk to my 15 directors, senior leaders at, at the county, uh, when I first came on board, the very first thing I did, I pulled them all together. I said, here's my mission for us, that we become great leaders, providing great services for the people that we're serving here in the county. But my vision is that we become exemplary leaders, that people around the state, when they start thinking about our animal shelter, or thinking about building an animal shelter in, say, Deshaies County, I want them thinking about our animal shelter in Washington County and the leader who runs it, you, say, Angela Ledgerwood, or our Department of Emergency Management. I want the state thinking about Washington County's emergency services and the leader who's running that. And I think over the past four or five years since I've been a county judge, we are seeing that people are looking at and seeing, man, look, look at what they're doing. Our sheriff is a phenomenal sheriff known across the state. In fact, in other parts of the country because of that leadership. So if I, if I'm trying to go and learn anything, any place I go, who's those leaders, what can I learn and glean from them? And then more importantly, can I apply some of that for where I'm going? Uh, and I think that is, that's been all the difference. Again, when I talk about Scott, the two stores, the only difference is, they got the same shelving. They got the same product coming in. So why is this one doing phenomenally well and successful? And why is this one spiraling out of control? So I'll uh, interject a quick, yep. a quick sure. unscripted Walmart story. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, we got telling these the other day. We'll do a couple. We'll sure, do whatever sure. time allows yep. us. But I don't know if you remember the old Saturday morning meetings where all the oh, management gosh. folks yep. would get together. I didn't realize for years. In those, we talked specifically about what we were doing. That's right. What we sales. Did, that's right. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty routine. Sales, expenses, right. new merchandise, right. what's going on. And it took me a few years to realize also with Mr. Sam particularly, we also talked about what we were being. We talked wow, about integrity. Right. That's wow. And character. That's right. That's and competence. Right. Mm. And, uh, you know, finally dawned on me that many years later, you know, I was just raised as a, in an environment that – Taught me how I should be conducting myself. That's exactly right. Now, we didn't, not everybody did that, but that's true of the world. But uh, not only what you're doing, but what you're being. We're not, we're not called human doings. Doings, we're being. Yeah, that's exactly beings. right. That's yeah. exactly right. That's but great. you had a good Walmart story the other day, too. Oh, well, wow. Miss Becky, uh, Mr. Sam's um, assistant forever. and Becky she, Elliott. Oh, Miss Becky. She was phenomenal. <laughs> Love me some Miss Becky. Uh, and she t- she was sharing one, and I didn't get a chance because when, when Mr. Sam was when I got here in ninety six ninety seven, wasn't you know he wasn't mm-hmm. on, but uh, I had worked for Walmart while I was in college in Iowa, so I got to work in the stores and I mean uh, around the around all all the various departments and put the Smokey Bear outfit on and <laughs> when it was Forest Fire Week or whatever. But Miss um, Becky, uh, I spent a lot of time with her, and so she would share a story. She said, "Oh my gosh, Mr. Sam, I remember this story. He he." Uh, was complaining. My office is right outside of his, and I hear him making these noises. Ah! 
what? And she's like, what in the problem? Then it gets quiet. Then she starts making that noise. And she gets up. What is the problem? He said, my light above my desk is keep flickering on and off. It's going on. She said, okay, I'll get it taken care of. So he leaves and she calls the maintenance. Hey, we need to get uh, Mr. Sam's light above his desk chains. And she said, I know it's late. And they said, we'll be there first thing in the morning. She said, well, make sure you come a little earlier because Mr. Sam will be in early. <laughs> Pressure's <laughs> is, on now, is that right? right? <laughs> and so, uh, so she came in early to make sure they're there. And she sees a guy walking the ladder in and he and I guess the guy walks into the office and he's trying to figure out because there's a big desk and the light is there and he can't figure out how to straggle, uh, straddle the, the ladder over. It. So he just starts leaning. He climbs up, climbs up the ladder. And he's leaning over the desk trying to change it by hanging over the, the ladder. Well, sure enough, Mr. Sam walks in and he all of a sudden, what, what are you doing? Uh, and the guy's on the ladder. Oh, I'm just trying to change the light. He said, no, no. And he puts his hands on his desk. And he just wipes everything off onto the floor. You get up here. You get up here. And the guy jumps on the desk. He changed the light bulb. He said, my job is to serve you and make sure your job is easy to do, et cetera. And when she told me that story, I'm thinking, wow. Here he's not just talking it. And again, I'll tell you, most people rather see the sermon than just hear the sermon. Mm -hmm. And so we hear that our people make the difference. That was a mantra forever. You know, everyday low prices raise the standard of living by lowering the price of goods. You hear those things. But how does it manifest itself? Well, it manifests itself when you have a person like Mr. Sam who says, you're the maintenance guy, but I can't do my work without the work that you do. Let me clear this off the path. And so he wipes, as opposed to trying to move the whole desk, he just wipes mm -hmm. everything on the floor. Miss Becky Hill hears this noise and this crash. The guy jumps, changes the light bulb. He's out of there. And she's left cleaning up everything and all. But I, I love sharing that story, especially when I was working on our transportation truck driver group. You know, talk, call it the windshield wiper. How do we as let, uh, leaders are we acting like windshield wipers? Are we removing obstacles off the way so people can see clearly where they're going, the work that they need to do without focusing on trying to remember some of the other things that could be a distraction? So You're talking about Sam, you're, uh, Dan, you're talking about your note and the impact. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to one of the senior executives many years ago, and I said, well, what brought you to Walmart? And I forget what brought him here, but what sold him, uh, him staying was uh, he's walking in for his interview. And he saw, he said, I saw this old white haired guy out in the parking lot picking up, uh, picking up trash. And, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't pay much attention. I just came on in, made the observation, went through my interview. And my last person to talk to was, was Sam Walton. And I walked in and I go, Oh my gosh, that's the guy who was picking up trash. <laughs> How's wow, that? For that? I love that. That's, but that's true. That's, that's exactly what, in fact, as I said, I worked in Iowa with Walmart in uh, Ames, Iowa, uh, worked there about four years while I was in college. And Mr. Sam inevitably would show up at least twice a year, maybe once a year in that store. And not one time did I ever recognize him because he had the flannel shirt on and the blue jeans looked like everybody else walking around the store in Iowa. And so again, it wasn't this, Hey, as as, as time got on and, and he had his entourage that had to go with him and you know the merchandisers this way and that type of thing. But back in those days and in, in the in mid eighties and all, Hey, he just flew, he jumped in, went to check the stores and, and he was gone. And I'm like, wow, that's, I, that's, a I'll tell you what, I could sit here and do this with you all day. I think <laughs> your pleasure to be around. Oh, thank thank you, you for what you're doing. I mean, that's, 30 minutes is gone already. It goes we just, wow. so quickly. Wow. You'll have to come back again. Absolutely. We'd love to. Thank <laughs> yeah. you guys for having me. Thank, thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. It's been great. All right. So with that, we've hit the end of episode nine of This Life's Work. Follow us on Facebook. You can catch every episode at theratliffgroup.com or anywhere that you find podcasts online. And we will see you next time. 